This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from the Podcast Detroit studios in Royal Oak, Michigan. For more information about the show or our network, please visit www.podcastdetroit.com. Views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. You're listening to the Detroit Sports Rag Podcast. Simon Cowell, a broadcast. Plagiarize the work of a blogger, David Harnes. Now, what's going on with that? Where's my number? Sorry. He was condescending back. I had a few too many, and I just drove home, and then just fucking, yeah. Is it true you sexually harassed a co-worker in a college newspaper? The Detroit sports website. Uh, I don't say this. This 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 puke isn't even worth being mentioned. The only time we should mention him is for his obituary. Except okay. no one will care when he's dead. We're talking to T. Foz, Terry Foster, ninety-seven-one. Uh, this guy got his hands into everything. Failed restaurants, failed marriages, failed liquor licenses. This guy's an animal. I make good choices nowadays. Before we get started, Jeff Moore. Is that correct? Lawrence, you here to do the interview today, or what's the deal? Yeah, no, I just... All right. Well, I'm sure Terry greatly appreciates that. The other thing is, you, you guys are raising hell out there in Detroit, aren't you? I, I, I've got some people telling me, you better not go on that show with those guys. Those guys are making everybody angry and getting them mad and doing stuff. So you're, you're creating quite a stir back there in Detroit. Tuesday, September 27th, 2016. In case you have never heard this show before, the DSR stands for Detroit Sports Rag. And we're going to get into some DSR business shortly. I know this is supposed to be a sports show, but it's basically also, you know, a weekly summary of everything that occurred uh, on the DSR, on the website, on Twitter, on the Facebook pages. And I've never addressed really on the podcast the Justin Spiro situation. Huh. Yeah, I knew that. I wanted to surprise you with that. I've been waiting. Yeah. I've I've done a couple periscopes about it, but I've kind of tried to keep the Spiro shit off the podcast. But I, after what's happened over the last few days, I – once and for all, I think I'm going to address it because it's quite clear 
that Spiro will never be back. Um, not that it was any surprise. I mean, I've known that for months, but that's pretty much, much been cemented. And uh, we'll get into Spiro and that whole ordeal because I think I've kind of taken a bad rap on it. I think people just automatically assume I'm the asshole in the situation. So I will address that. Speaking of people who are not exactly on my uh, good list right now, the person who did the show right before us here in the uh, podcast Detroit studios, the show I believe is called The Wellness Plan. (laughs) The Wellness Plan Network. What's that? What is it? Wellness Speaks Radio. Wellness Speaks Radio. So I come in, you know, about 4.30 to do some show prep. I walk in. I didn't know if there was anyone here, if there were anyone doing the show before me. And there's this lady here sitting in the studio, not doing a show. I look in to see if I can put my stuff down, see that she is in the Jessica producer chair. Jessica's here as always. That's her voice, by the way. Hello. Hello. So I see that she's sitting there, and I decide to go back and just sit in the lounge and do my show prep. I'm not going to bother her, obviously. Uh, next thing I know, the door is shut. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I wasn't going to make any noise, but if you're doing a show, you might want to shut the door. The only problem was she wasn't doing a show. There was no show that preceded the DSR podcast today on this network. And I guess she was angry at you, Jessica. Because you didn't get in here in enough time to give her her key to do her four o'clock show, even though, from what I can gather, I really did though. I really was here like ten two, so, if not sooner. So you go in but. and you go in to you know start my show, and she's not doing her show. She's just sitting there, and then she bites her head off that she couldn't do her show because yeah. you couldn't get here on time, even though. You weren't producing her show. Or getting paid to be here at all, for that matter. <laughs> you were just delivering her a key. <laughs> like, which I think is a nice thing to do. And would it have mattered if she... Listen, I started the show today because we got in here late because she wasn't doing her show. Okay, we started the show at 5.05 or whatever. Right. Who gives a fuck? This isn't exactly uh, WNBC. Right. This is Podcast Detroit and... I don't know how many live people are listening to your show, Mrs. Wellness Plan, but I just clicked on the archives, and last week's program, there was 85 clicks. You're not exactly, you know, Adam Carolla or uh, IT in the D getting hundreds of thousands of clicks. You're the Wellness Plan Network. I don't know what you do on your show. I might have listened to it today, considering I was sitting here. But you didn't do a show, and then you blamed it on Jessica, who wasn't even producing it. You were supposed to do it yourself. I just want to let you know, uh, Jeff, if there's anything in your life that you did that is you know, not actually your fault, feel free to blame it on me. <laughs> I'm um, just saying. Yeah, okay. I, that, that, that list I'll have to get in the break, because there's, it's just too long. Mm. But, like, people... Mm out there listening to this network, okay, these Dave and Bob, the proprietors of this place, they're not making a killing on this. I mean, this is like a community network where everyone's helping each other out. Jessica comes in here when she's not even getting paid to help out. She's got another job. Uh, If you don't appreciate what these people are doing, 
then you're an absolute moron. And to bite someone's head off when it had, she can't, she obviously doesn't know how to run her own show. Right. The training wheels came off. Jessica showed her how to do the show, I guess, for a couple weeks. She was supposed to do it on her own. And so don't blame anyone else. You've got 85 people listening all week long. I can't imagine you've got more than two or three listening live. So start, start the show at 410. The FCC isn't going to find you, lady. I, I, I just cannot deal with stupidity. I mean, this is a beautiful building. You walk into this place. I brought in Eli Zarrett, Bob Page. We've had guests. They can't believe the facilities here. We've got three studios, a standalone building in Royal Oak, a stocked refrigerator with Red Bull, both sugar-free and regular, a freezer full of liquor, assorted candies, Jolly Ranchers, a nice bathroom. They pay a cleaning lady to come in here every other week to clean up after you fucking slobs who make a mess of this place, who smoke cigarettes outside and just drop butts all over. Have a little respect for Podcast Detroit. Thank you, Jeff. Jesus, I'm the asshole, <laughs> which we're going to get into quickly. I'm so aggravated by this lady that I forgot to mention my sponsor, which I will do now. KellyTickets.com. That's C-A-L-I, Cali Tickets, going back to Cali. CaliTickets.com. Go to their website. Do you want Red Wings tickets? The Red Wings play tonight, like in two hours. An exhibition game, believe it or not. Tigers, if you're a big idiot and you want to go see that abomination down there at Comerica Park tonight, as they play out the last few games with their desperate hope of making the... You want to see them. You want to go Bob bomb Brad Osmus, which you're going to get into with Ryan Schuling from 92.1 FM in Lansing, and also you might know him better as the right fielder on the DSR softball team. Kelly tickets. You want concert seats. Fox Theater, Fillmore, whatever. Mention the DSR and get a 10% discount. KellyTickets.com. And if you don't have a computer, which I don't know how the fuck you're listening to this show, if you don't have a computer and you want to go the old-fashioned way and call Mark Goldman at Kelly Tickets, call 877-225-8425. Don't bring up Brad Osmus to that guy, though. The guy, literally, my sponsor wants me to go down to Comerica Park and jump on the field and assault Brad Osmus. CaliTickets.com. So, okay. I'm done with that rant. I mean, am I wrong? No. No, 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 no. Not even close. Definitely 100% right. God, how often do you hear that? (laughs) (laughs) Very rarely, if ever. I figured. And definitely never from someone who is a female. Yep. Thought that too. <sighs> okay. So let's get into the Spiro stuff. Because I don't know. How long has uh Justin been gone from the show? Since about like has April? It been like six months. Five maybe four or five months. Oh wow, it feels longer. Um did he he was on the show after the baby was born. Yeah. 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 So probably about four or five months at the most. So the reason this has come up at all is 
Yeah, what's the deal? You like have been closed mouth about it the whole entire time, because and now I, so. I think we should put some closure to it. I mean, it, it, he was a part of the DSR from basically the, almost within a few months of it starting back when he was in high school. Still, he was either fifteen or sixteen. Right. Going back to two thousand and three or two thousand four, so eleven, twelve years, maybe more, twelve, thirteen years, I guess. And he wrote occasionally for the site. He was on the podcast as the guest host, co-host. <laughs> See, I said it again. He's probably <laughs> sitting somewhere pissed already. Did I call him the guest host? Co-host of this show. And he got mad at me back, I guess, in April. I'm not even going to get into all that, but he got mad at me because I told him to shut the fuck up over Facebook. And he thought I was being disrespectful, even though... I shut the fuck up is like I've said before, basically like shalom. It could mean many things. Hello, goodbye, peace, right. or shut the fuck up. And he left the website, stopped writing articles, stopped doing the podcast. A few months went by. He made a big announcement that he was going to another website and he was going to write for them called Detroit Jock City, or as I call it, Detroit Schlock City. A website that's a bunch of fanboys, basically, that has some association with 97 on the ticket where they promote uh, Scott Anderson and Doug Karsh program. So basically, Spiro was supposedly going from bombing those guys on here. You remember the bit Spiro used to do to come in and read all of the non-sports topics on that station? Right. To going supposedly to write for a website that was in cahoots with 97 one. Well, meanwhile, weeks went by. He never wrote a uh, never wrote an article for that website at all. I then found out about a month ago that he was going to now write for a website called Detroit Sports Nation, even though he never wrote for Detroit Schlock City. He was going to write for that website. It's been a month. He still hasn't written an article for them. Now, this is a website that has an adversarial relationship with, with me. Uh, oh. Yeah. Um, this is the kind of content on Detroit Sports Nation. When the Lions won their first game against Indianapolis opening weekend, uh, they were out there using the one, pri- the, the one pride hashtag on Twitter. There are a bunch of Lions slapdicks. And not only that, here are some tweets from Detroit Sports Nation. Uh, Good thing Ken Holland is smart and doesn't listen to the armchair GMs that populate cyberspace. So you can rail on Ken Holland for some questionable signings, but he knows what he's doing with the kids in Grand Rapids. I'm sure Jeff Moss was somehow able to turn tonight's great Red Wings victory into a bash Babcock Holland Howard session. Never fails. The only move I criticize Ken Collin for is not resigning Marion Hosa. Uh, then there's this long back and forth between Justin Rose at WXYZ Channel 7 Detroit Sports Nation regarding Mike Babcock. Like a week, a couple weeks before Mike Babcock left Detroit to go to Toronto. Where Detroit Sports Nation's insisting on the fact that Mike Babcock is going to come back to Detroit. 
Meanwhile, uh, Spiro, who's supposedly their new writer, you know, had written and posted that there was no chance that Babcock was gone. We had that story for a year before this. More Ken Holland defending. Game has changed so much in the past five to ten years. Can't put blame on Ken Holland for doing whatever he can to try to, to improve the team. I'm just going through some of these. Oh, this is from just February of, of this this year. When Brendan Smith was clearly, analytically, and by the eye test, the best defenseman on the Red Wings. Quote, if Holland can rid us of Brendan Smith, I promise I'll never intentionally swear on Twitter again. Hashtag Red Wings. Quote, we've got a great fourth line this season. Joachim Anderson's skating is greatly improved, and Glenn Denning's defensive play is great. This is the website that Spiro had uh, up until the last couple days posted on his Twitter account that he wrote for, even though he hasn't written an article. We'll get to that disappearance. Here's another tweet from Detroit Sports Nation to the blogger George Malik. Everyone knows Jeff Moss is the biggest douchebag blogger on Twitter. I think you're funny, for the record, but yeah. whatever. Uh, this is another tweet. Well, that's what you get when you follow Jeff Moss. Nothing he says surprises me anymore. So that's who we joined forces, I guess, uh, at a time to be named later when he's going to write an article. Oh, they really hate you over there, huh? Uh, yeah, they're not big fans. No, couldn't tell. Okay. But even when he joined this a month ago, I didn't come on here and bash him. I didn't say anything. I basically was going to let... Leave Spiro alone. Unless he came after me for any reason or mentioned me, I was going to say nothing. Then on Friday night, for whatever reason, Spiro went on Twitter and started subtweeting to me. You know, he went on. He wasn't mentioning me personally. But they were definitely directed towards me regarding the DSR and my defense of Justin Upton this season. And let, let me say something. My defense of Justin Upton isn't that he's been having a great season. His war is still like 1.5 or something. By no metric whatsoever has Justin Upton been very good this year. My only point was don't bury the guy. He's got a long track record. This is a long contract. And there's a lot of guys who come over from the National League to the American League and struggle. Justin Upton isn't the first, and he won't be the last, to switch leagues and have a period of time where he had to adjust. That's all I said. And I thought that at some point, Justin Upton's numbers would start floating back towards his career averages. Has he had a great year? Obviously not. Has he been carrying the Tigers basically for the last month of the season in an effort to get him into the postseason since he was rested for three days by Brad Ausmus? 100% yes. He's been one of the best players in baseball since the last week of August. And it was predictable. 28-year-old guys in the prime of their career usually don't fall apart all of a sudden for no reason, no injury reason, no personal reason at home, nothing. It just usually doesn't happen with a guy who's got a track record 
of usually putting up an on-base percentage of around 350, a slugging percentage of around 450. Usually those guys, you know, unless they get hurt or get older, neither which are the case, come back to their career averages. Now, Justin Upton would dug himself such a hole with his on-base percentage that that wasn't ever coming back, even though he's raised it about probably 25 points in the last month. But Justin Upton has gone on an absolute home run tear, and his slugging percentage is right around where it was last season. And I wouldn't be surprised in the next, what, six days, it ends up around his career average. Justin Upton last week, that you know, that was named yesterday, was the player of the week in Major League Baseball, in the American League. Excuse me. So Friday night, after Justin Upton, I believe, hit a home run that evening. Uh, 100% positive he, broke, he, he hit a home run that evening. I think it was in the day before he hit one that I think was the game winner in one of the doubleheader games against the Twins. Spiro, in the week that Justin Upton is the player of the week, decides to go on a rant about how Justin Upton has been terrible this year, nothing he can do this season can save him from that, that basically the DSR, he's their boy, Justin Upton's our boy, and that we treated Prince Fielder awfully, even though Prince Fielder had better statistics. All of these subtweets Friday night towards me. Why he didn't mention me directly, I don't know. Why he chose that night to do so, I have some ideas. But it was like he was trying to pick a fight with me. And like Donald Trump, it doesn't take much to bait me. And Spiro knows that probably better than anyone in the world. So I took the bait. And I'm going to stop there for a second, and I'm going to discuss a few things. Because, and and I haven't really shared this much, but when Spiro left the website because supposedly I treated him so awfully because I told him to shut the fuck up, even though a week prior he told off two other members of the DSR, he told one guy that he was beneath him. Why, I don't know, because he isn't in the socioeconomic class of Spiro, because he wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. I'm not exactly sure why he told BCAV that he was beneath him and stopped condescending to him because you're beneath me. He went off on Jim Jim Petro, another member of the DSR, a week before I told him to shut the fuck up, with something that was basically the equivalent of shut the fuck up. And, you know, if Spiro didn't want to do the podcast anymore because he had a new job, because he had a kid, that was fine. So all he had to do was say that. Nobody knows basically ever what Spiro's ulterior motives, why he does anything. The guy has gone back and forth on the website, left it, come back, banned himself when he had admin abilities on the webpage. I mean, all an attention-seeking nonsense. But okay, we put up with it. I put up with it for a decade because he was a contributor to the website. And I appreciated his contributions to the website. So all he had to do was tell me, look, Moss, I got too much shit to do. You know, even if he didn't like what I said, he could have said, I didn't like the, you know, and I apologized about five minutes after I told him to shut the fuck up. 
I did apologize. Yeah. Right. So, which leads me to believe it was all a bunch of bullshit. And who knows, maybe it was part of one of his latest, you know, I'm going to disappear for a couple months and come back. I don't know. But I thought it was a betrayal for him to leave. Now, why do I think it was a betrayal? Because he was a key component to the website. He was good on this podcast. He wrote good articles when he, you know, maybe once or twice a month would post something on the website. He was one of four people in the world who have the password to the main page, who could go on the DSR website and post at any time he wanted. Anything. Anything. Four people. Me, the person who edits my articles, uh, the graphic designer for the website, and Spiro. Those were the only four people who knew who knew how to get into the website and could do make any modifications that they wanted without permission from me, even. The betrayal in my mind was that a few years ago, Spiro was running the DSR Fantasy Baseball League. A fantasy baseball league, by the way, that got national attention on blogs and awful announcing, I believe, because Spiro paid Jose Canseco, the former Oakland A's great uh, home run hitter, former companion of Madonna. He flew Jose Canseco in from Las Vegas, I believe first class, put him up in the Townsend Hotel, think got him a driver, so Jose Canseco could be in our fantasy baseball league. That was in March when we had that draft. I don't know. I, I'm estimating that cost between three and five thousand dollars to do that. About I don't know six weeks into the season, one of the people in the league, someone you're familiar with out there, uh, former WDFN radio host, former 105.1 radio host, current Detroit Lions uh, pregame an- uh, announcer. Sean Belisian, who was a member of the DSR League, had noticed that Spiro, his team in the league, there were retroactive moves being made on the website. So let's take, for example, I'm just going to throw this out. It's not a direct example. Let's say Spiro had a guy who went 0 for 5. By utilizing the league manager tool, which only the commissioner has power to do, at like 2 o'clock in the morning, someone was putting in guys who had good games that evening. So if someone had went 3 for 5 and hit a home run, someone was putting that guy in for the player who had a bad day in the middle of the night. It's called cheating whoever did it, and it was Spiro's team. Belizean, uh brought this to the attention of a few people. I don't remember if it was 15, 20 moves like that, and I believe they all were in favor of Spiro. Maybe one was, went sideways. It didn't really matter. 
and the league accused Spiro of cheating. Including, at the time, one of his best friends, a gentleman by the name of Michael Bohenick, who stood up at Spiro's wedding. All of the evidence mounted by the people who cared. Now, I was in the league basically peripherally. Someone runs my team in drafts, and I don't pay any attention to any of it because I hate fantasy sports, but I show up for the draft. It's good. You know, it's fun to see Jose Canseco and Dennis Rodman and get sandwiches from Zingerman's. But I didn't know what was going on, so I had to trust every what everyone was saying, and everyone was saying that Spiro was a cheater, that he made all of these moves in league manager mode that benefited him, and that there was no other explanation. At first, Spiro gave the league, or the peop, some people in the league, the explanation that he was benching Miguel Cabrera because he was mad at him the night before because he went 0 for 4, and Spiro thought he wasn't in league manager, and he was benching Miguel Cabrera for the next day, but he was in league manager, and that those moves actually... He didn't make. He wasn't trying to make them for the previous day. That was his first story, and nobody really bought that. The second story was that someone else had access to league manager because Spiro was running Conseco's team. He had to run his own team. I believe he was helping run his brother-in-law's team and basically pointed the finger that his brother-in-law could have done this too. Now, why his brother-in-law would have built up Spiro's team, I have no idea. But for the good of the website, because I put the website above probably way too many things in this world, and because I just couldn't believe anyone would cheat in a fantasy baseball league, because who gives a shit? Not to mention, I think it's like $100 a team or something. The most he could have won was like around $1,000, and he'd already probably given Jose Canseco $5,000. So this wasn't a money-making thing, and Spiro has more money than God because of his dad anyway. Like, I couldn't get my head around, A, why he would cheat his friends, and B, I knew the money didn't matter. Now, people on the website said, well, winning was more important to him. He did, the money wasn't big, but he wanted the, the recognition for winning the league, and that's why he did this. And I just basically put my head in the sand and said, no, there's no way Spiro could have done this, even though all the evidence is pointing in his direction that there's no other reasonable explanation. I could see that if I didn't step in and try to you know, calm people down and, and take his side, that Spiro was going to be gone from the website. There would be no guest hosting podcasts. There'd be no writing articles. There'd be no sourcing from the Detroit Tigers. There would, you know, I wouldn't be getting you know this, this information. So for the good of the website, I stepped in and said, I don't believe he cheated. And let's just drop it. And I don't think people really bought what I was saying. But I think for the good of the website, most of the people in the DSR elite, if that's what you want to call it, at least bought or just... We're going to forget it. Now, the one person who really wouldn't forget it uh, was the co-founder of the DSR, Greg Schultz. 
who continued to needle Sparrow on Facebook, on our group, the DSR group, over and over. To the point where last fall, when we were doing the show, Spiro came to me after a podcast in the studio, our old studio in Ferndale, when we were walking to the parking lot, and told me that he was going to basically force Greg to stop because he was going to show up at his house with poster board professionally made signs to shame and blackmail Greg over something. And... it went in basically, I, I really didn't even, couldn't even comprehend what Spiro was saying because my dad was dying. He was at Beaumont. I was leaving there to go visit him. And I, I just didn't want any more drama. I didn't even want to deal with it. And I just was like, whatever. I mean, what am I even supposed to say to that? That the co-creator of the DSR, Greg Schultz, he was going to go to his house and shame him in front of his uh, two kids, who I believe are like 15 and 9. He ended up not doing it because the blackmail worked and Greg stopped basically mentioning it on Facebook. Not only did Spiro come back to the website and contribute after this quote-unquote scandal, he actually got the DSR Fantasy Baseball League back up and running. And the same people who basically figured, thought he cheated, put put bygones, you know, put everything aside, by, let bygones be bygones, and agreed to do the what do the stupid league again. And they did. And incredibly enough, those two comments that I had mentioned earlier about to Brian Kavanaugh, to BCAV, and to Jim Petro, where he, where he called BCAV beneath him and called him condescending Cav and attacked Petro, was actually in another fantasy baseball dispute. Spiro had the chutzpah to accuse other people of making unfair baseball, fantasy baseball trades. And he was going off and call Scott Anderson and other person, all these other people. Like, not having the common sense to, like, not even bring this to attention when you were once caught and basically exposed as a fantasy baseball cheater. So if you want to know why I felt betrayed that he left the website for basically no reason, the fact that I stood up and defended this guy over this, I think is bullshit. And I continue to think it's bullshit. But guess what? You now supposedly write for Detroit Sports Nation, so I'm not there to protect you anymore. And I want to get in, you know, there's more I could talk about. There's so much more hypocritical bullshit I could talk about. But I think I've gone on long enough, and maybe I will address it at some point, but I want to get Ryan Schuing on so we can talk about the Tigers and the Lions and some other sports stuff. But that's why I feel betrayed. He left for no reason, showing absolutely no loyalty to me, 
even though I stood up for the guy, even if it was probably for selfish reasons, I did. And I'm the guy whose wedding invitation was thrown in a fireplace. I was I didn't stand up at Spiro's wedding. I didn't even go to it because I was my invitation was burnt to a crisp in his fireplace. His supposed best friend didn't give him any benefit of the doubt, and that person's a, a, another huge piece of shit because he didn't even give Spiro a chance to respond to the accusations. He just went along for the ride with everyone else. That asshat anti-Semitic racist, Michael Bohenic. But that's the story. And like I said, I probably could do the whole goddamn show on Spiro today. The end of this story is, for now anyway, Spiro deleted his Twitter account over the weekend. Why? Who the hell knows? All right, we're going to get Shuling on the show. And uh, we'll go to another uh, wonderful subject, the Detroit Tigers, after this. This is a previously recorded episode. All right, we are back. That requested song, Cake and Sodomy by Marilyn Manson, for one uh, Miranda McCoy down in Strasburg, Ohio, who my next guest and I saw at the Michigan State tailgate uh, on Saturday before that wonderful game between the Spartans and the Badgers. Uh, Sparty Moss over here still not fully over that decimation. It's going to probably take me years to get over that defeat. What's up, Shu? Oh, Moss, uh, you, you talk a good game, but uh, you sure did hightail it out of there as soon as the tailgate was over. Well, I I knew it was coming. I could sense it like, you know, an animal yeah. can sense an earthquake. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I could not bear to stay up in my home away from home East Lansing. Um where I think where I think I'm about to get the uh, key to the city from Verge Bonero. I could see you and Verge getting along pretty well actually. He's an asshole. <laughs> well, I, you know, you saw him run for governor, right? Oh, you probably true. voted for him, too. I'm sure I did. I might have even done it twice. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, for anyone who doesn't know, which is zero, anyone listening to the show, uh, Ryan Schulling is on 92.1, the team in Lansing, and I appear every Monday uh, as part of uh, Mondays with Moss, sometimes sponsored by Deja Vu Strip Club, sometimes not. But uh, so, Ryan, uh, we're going to get off Spiro for the time being and talk about uh, another abortion, the Detroit Tigers. And I want to pose a question to you to start off, which and and you can um, do what I do every Monday and you can um, just go off and just talk for five minutes and then act like I'm not here. But I'm going to give you three moves uh, that Brad Osmus made since Saturday. And I want you to tell me what you think was the worst one and most detrimental to the team. One, on Saturday, the Tigers have the lead. K-Rod comes in. K-Rod gives up the lead. And instead of pulling him at that point and bringing another reliever, as K-Rod clearly didn't have it that afternoon, he instead decided to 
stick with him, which led to a three-run homer by Eric Hosmer to put the game out of reach. That's A. B, Sunday, Matt Boyd starts for the Tigers. Uh, He doesn't get anyone out. And uh, Osmus makes the right decision to go to the bullpen, brings in uh, what Blaine Hardy, I believe, first. Later in the game, he brings in the fourth inning, Shane Green, a high-leverage reliever, which makes you think that Brad Osmus is taking this game seriously. He's going to do anything to stay in the game because the Tigers have to win this game because tomorrow, which was yesterday, Corey Kluber was going to be starting against Buck Farmer. Except he pitches Shane Green one inning and then goes to the rusty, horrible, awful Mike Pelfrey the next inning and lets the game get out of hand again. Uh, later in the game, after he miraculously gets Jordan Zimmerman to give him two good innings, even though Zimmerman wasn't supposed to pitch, he had a simulated game scheduled for yesterday. He lets him in the ninth inning to give up uh, another run after the Tigers had cut it to two to make it, I think, 12-9. to nine. So you have A, the K-Rod move, B, going from high leverage to low leverage to they shouldn't be in baseball probably. And then yesterday, he allows Buck Farmer in a tie game to face the top of the Cleveland Indians order for the third time. And predictably, the Indians score two runs to go up 4-2, to two, and they end up winning that game. Of those three, A, B, C, or D, all of the above, what would be your worst Osmus move over the weekend? Well, Jeff, the easy answer is D, but I'm going to go back to a word that you just used, which I think is the, the very reason that you fire Brad Osmus, and that's leverage. He does not understand the term, the concept, the thought process of leverage. I mean, you and I come at this, Jeff, from two very different perspectives, although if we did a Venn diagram of our baseball views, there's a lot of overlap. But what I like about the collaboration of our efforts is there are areas where we disagree, but from my experience covering baseball at the minor league level, working with managers who are both old school and then others who are open to the new school process of analytics, and you come at this, in most cases, strictly from a numbers-based approach, which makes sound, logical sense. There is a marriage of those two philosophies that can happen, and we thought that would be the case with Brad Ausmus, that he would come in with an open mind and be willing to adapt and evolve into a mode where he's making decisions that are based on sound reason, logic, numbers, leverage, things of this nature, And he's doing it two, three, four steps in advance. What you just described was exactly the reason why I do not have any faith that he can manage this baseball team anymore. Bullpen management is number one on that list, especially for an American League manager where you don't have to worry about double switches most of the time unless you're interleague on the road. And then there's lineup construction, which that's a totally different thing, and we can get to that later if you want. But staying uh, focused on this topic of leverage, if you're an old-school guy and you're locked into the belief that Frankie Rodriguez is your quote-unquote closer 
And he comes in only in the ninth inning and only with a lead of three runs or less because you buy into the bullshit theory that the save as a statistic means something. That a three-run lead of the ninth is totally different than a four-run lead of the ninth, which it's not. And depending on what part of the order you're facing, it's a totally different animal. And maybe you lose use the so-called, quote-unquote, closer in the eighth inning if you're facing, say, the top of the order, the heart of the order, tougher hitters in the lineup, rather than, nope, got to pitch them seventh inning against seven, eight, nine, cause, or ninth inning, seven, eight, nine, because that's the role of the closer. So if you're going to go by that predefined, archaic role assignment, then Frankie has already botched that particular role of closer. He's no longer in a save situation, and the game is tied. It's a different kind of game now. So I'm saying even and, by And old- at that point, Ryan, you can clearly see on Saturday that he didn't have it. He gives up a, a ball off the wall in dead center. Um. To guy who I don't believe was much of a power hitter, and they had him played pretty pretty uh, shallow anyway. Like you can see, and then he comes back, and before the Hosmer home run, he gives up another walk, and Osmus's answer was, "Well, he's my closer, and I'm not I'm not going to pull him no matter what happens in the ninth inning." It's it, it, and where's the urgency? We've said all year long, all year long, we've said, where is a sense of urgency? It's and, I, and I've been repeating this. It's like he thinks the season ends after Christmas. Like, the season, it's like a full year or something. I, I don't know what he thinks. But you'd think in the last few days, when you've got seven, eight, nine games left, you're battling two or three teams for that second wild card. At that moment, you're a half game in front. You'd think you'd be treating... Every single situation, like it's life and death, and we just went over three situations where he acted like it was May in a game against the Marlins. It just didn't matter much. And that's another thing. I mean, right? Well, you just said. I mean, we'll move on now to the other example where in the minor leagues they call it Johnny Allstaff Day, where you're running off a starter and you just you throw a reliever out there every inning. And it's not as you know pertinent that you get wins at that level most of the time. But you're right. In this situation, Matt Boyd bombs out, and God love him, he's been better than good most of this season as a starter. But, you know, the the team that he's facing hits the cycle in the first four batters he faces without retiring a single one of them. I, I don't know if that's ever been done in Major League Baseball, but that's what happened on Sunday. I was at that game. But here's where you're absolutely right. So it's a 7 nothing lead at one point. And if you're veering in one direction where this game is toast, I'm going to punt, we're going to reload for tomorrow and try to go after Kluber, that's one thing. But Victor Martinez hits the grand slam. And now all of a sudden, you're in that game. You're competitive in that game. You have to be able to adjust on the fly and go, this is a game worth going after. I'm not just going to randomly make decisions as we go through this path and tiptoe through the tulips and go Sanchez, Pelfrey, oh, I don't know, Green, and who do we have left? Zimmerman for three? It's like you said, he doesn't have any mode or method to his madness, to what he's trying to accomplish. The ultimate goal is wins. And in that game, you're back in the game. You adjust your substitution pattern in terms of relievers, like you said, bring in your A-list stars. Don't throw Helfrey out there when you know he's going to get bombed, which predictably happened. 
Same thing happened to Sanchez. I mean, Blaine Hardy's the only one that went through that whole experience unscathed. And then he rides out Jordan Zimmerman for a third inning when we know this guy's very delicate trying to come back healthy. They had even penciled him in for a start, for two starts down the stretch here. And they get two good innings out of him, and you're playing with fire, and you throw him out there for a third, and that happens. And that dovetails right into your point on Buck Farmer. Farmer did okay. He did Buck Farmery things two times through the order. Good enough to keep you in the game. Why roll him out there a third time? Well, because that's what you got to do. He's a starting pitcher. He's got to get through five innings to qualify for the win, Jeff, right? I honestly think that's part of Brad Osmus's thinking. I don't think the win is necessary. I think he just figured, well, we had a bullpen day yesterday and we you know I got to get five innings out of him today because if we want but here's here's the problem with that thinking okay so the game's two to two you're miraculously still in it and Kluber looks hittable in the fifth inning and and, and I want to preface this by saying none of this is hindsight you and I and other people who I respect on Twitter are all saying this in real time we have something called Twitter where you can post thoughts that are time-stamped and your thousands of followers, yours or mine, can see the thought process in real time. If we were in that dugout, this is what we would do. It's, it's not, okay, uh, wait until two hours after the game and then question the decisions. But after you go through the lineup two times and Santana, Kipnis, Lindor, Napoli are coming back up and you're going to send Farmer back out there when you're luckily tied 2-2, two to two, it's absolutely asinine. And I'll tell you further why it is. Because it's very important that you keep that game tied or get a lead real soon. Because you know mm-hmm. at some point they're going to have the ability to bring in Andrew Miller, who can go two innings, and then Cody Allen. So you've got to get the lead. You can't get behind. It's almost like Kansas City last year. You can't do it. You've got to... So you, you bring in, who, in my opinion, in the fifth inning, I would have probably brought in Rondon, who has been arguably the team's best reliever for about four to six weeks, just to keep that game. Now, if you do bring in Rondon in that situation and then maybe go with the Wilsons, now, admittedly so, that they neither of them pitched great yesterday, but those are the high-leverage guys to do everything possible. You are one and a half games back of Baltimore at that point. If you lose that game, you are going to need Baltimore probably to go 3-3, three and three, and you're going to need to go 5-1 and one over the last six games just to get a play-in game to the play-in game. And if, at that point, basically, who are you going to start in game three, the game one? If you win, if you win both of those games, you beat Baltimore with Verlander or Farmer, or excuse me, or Fulmer. Actually, you probably can't even start because you've got to win every game against Atlanta. So I don't even know who starts game one of if you win those two games of the ALDS. Sanchez? Pelfrey? I mean, I'm being a little facetious there. But that's the situation you're in. That's how much of a must win yesterday was. And he treated it like anything but. Well, and it's hard for him to shift out of that gear where I'll do it tomorrow. I'll take care of it tomorrow. It's early in the season. We kept hearing that and hearing that. And to a certain degree, that is true. But again, the games you lose in April and May, you can't unlose in August and September. 
kind of sound like Tim McCarver there, and I'm uh, apologizing for that. But here we are the last week, and it's cram time, man. It's final exam time. You can't afford to have Frankie Rodriguez blow a save with one pitch from getting a victory. You can't afford to make bad decisions with the bullpen like you're outlining. And when you run into a, a, a fireball situation like Matt Boyd having to come out of a game with an infinity ERA, then – you know, you, you don't have a lot of options down there. And I want to make this clear for Brad Ausmus, too, and this is not necessarily just to defend him, but you're counting on a rotation to start the year of Verlander, Zimmerman, Sanchez, Pelfrey, and then maybe one of these youngsters that we're talking about. It's turned into Verlander and the kids, and there's nobody else that you can really trust. So when you're shorthanded from that standpoint, and we saw all three other guys – Sanchez, Pelfrey, Zimmerman even, he's on the outside looking in, give up runs in that 12-9 defeat to Kansas City. Now you're shorthanded Buck Farmer. You're, you're talking fourth inning. But you're right, you've got to try to string this together inning by inning and get yourself to a point where there's X number of outs remaining in the game and somehow you stake yourself out to a lead. Brad Ausmus has not really adapted. The one other big problem I have with Brad Ausmus, Jeff, is his judgment in terms of this guy is in a defined role, which originally it was supposed to be Mark Lowe in the eighth inning and Frankie in the ninth. I don't know how much he really reads into the performance of a pitcher over time. Like you just mentioned Rondon over four to six weeks, and he has been slotted in to that eighth inning role. But how long did it take to recognize that Mark Lowe was hot flaming trash, no matter how much you were paying him. And I don't know how much of this is coming from Alavila. We're paying him X. We got to do Y, but he hangs on to guys way too long, whether it's in their role or whether it's in their performance during a game and is too slow off the draw to cut bait and run and make a different decision in and of the moment. And, and Jeff, you know, as well as I do, that applies to the lineup, to pinch hitting roles and everything else on that side of the equation as well. Yeah. And here's the thing that's aggravating as hell is, okay, I can take the fact that the Tigers are not going to make the playoffs with a $200 million payroll this year. If it means that Osmus is going to be fired. I can see this being the, uh, the, the, the worst case scenario that the Tigers miss the playoffs and they bring this guy back because they have that team option for a fourth season. And, I mean, how much more attendance drop does this franchise need to see? I mean, that game was embarrassing last night. If that wasn't yeah. the end of the Brad Ausmus regime where you've got a half-empty Comerica Park with a team a game and a half out of the playoffs with seven games to go against the Cleveland Indians team, um, that you're trying to prevent from, I guess, celebrating on your field, which didn't work out so well. And you've got people from Cleveland. The, 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 this, the Cleveland fans are yelling, let's go Tribe. It was louder at Comerica Park for the Indians that sometimes it is a progressive field. It, it, what an yeah. embarrassment. How is Al Avila and Chris Illich sit there and look at that, that the team got cuckled, basically, by the Indians and their, and their fans last night, and you're going to bring this guy back when there's not there's not going to be any big free agent signing because they're not going to raise payroll at all. If anything, we've got to sit, and we're going to get to this in a second, we're going to have to sit and hope and pray that Chris Illich, because the team has gone from 38,000 
people a game per you know per game average in 2012 to this year like 31,000. We got to sit here during the off season and just hope we may maintain the status quo. So how how can you sell to the fan base that you're going to bring this guy back, which I'm terrified they're going to do? Yeah, that's a great question. And who owns the central now, right? I don't think they're going to be t-shirts being printed out anyway. Uh, yeah, you look at, you know, percentage of blame here between Osmus and to be fair, Al Avila, because if you look at the report card of all the moves he made, and I'll say this at the time that he made him, it wasn't for lack of effort. He did everything he could in terms of number and quantity of moves. There was reason to question the quality of the moves, particularly Pelfrey and Lowe at the times they were made. But you had to like the first strings opening, getting a Justin Upton. You had to at the time, not knowing that he'd be hurt, uh, like the addition of Jordan Zimmerman. They had to add a starting pitcher. And, and even more so now you look at now with the rookies that they had, you know, without Jordan Zimmerman, he only pitched the month of April. So even that investment went awry. And, and I don't know that I put that all on Avila. But this is not a 100% Brad fault, 0% Avila fault. But, but Jeff, you're kind of hitting on the high note here of there hasn't been change. And in the three years of Osmus, the Detroit Tigers have gone from the World Series in 2012 to the ALCS debacle of 2013 to the ALDS mind-numbing moves that he made with Jabba Chamberlain, among others, against the Orioles. That's Osmus's first year to last place a year ago, to on the periphery of the playoff this year. If you're stagnant, and they have to be, like you mentioned, even in the best-case scenario, what moves can they make? Nobody's coming off the books in free agency for the Tigers right now of note, other than South of Lamakia. They're probably going to pick up an option on Frankie Rodriguez to be their closer, and they've got $200 million already assigned on their payroll, four of those spots, to Sanchez, Pelfrey, Zimmerman, and Lowe. That's a quarter of your payroll on those four guys, and none of them right now can do a thing for you. And in the lineup, what would you change other than adding maybe a left-handed hitting catcher like Jason Castro from the Astros? Maybe that might be a move, but you can't do a lot with the roster. I don't think you're going to fire Al Avila one year no. fully into his tenure as general manager when he's on, what, a five-year deal. So the only thing you can do is a message to your fans, which is important. There is a political element to this, is pull the plug on Austin and say, we're going to try something different. And that's the step in this process that I'm with you. I don't know what they're going to do. If they miss the playoffs, bring Brad back, stay with the current roster, stay with Avila. What's the fan reaction going to be to that when you can only sell so much? Like, oh, we had injuries, we have these excuses, and if you just get us back together, get the band back together for one more run at this, we'll get it done. I don't know how much faith is left in the fan base for that to happen. Well, the one thing I will say has come out of this season that's been positive I don't think the window is now closed because of what's happened this season at all. I think, if anything, this season has shown that this team can compete moving forward for a variety of reasons, and why I think that with a couple moves uh, and tweaks and a new manager who might not cost you five or six games a year and who manages with a sense of urgency from April 1st to October 1st, that this can, team can compete next year. And you know it, why that is. It's because of Fulmer and Norris and Boyd to a lesser extent. Look, this team has the ability, when healthy, to be a very good team, I believe, next year. You've got Fulmer on the second year, Norris, who hopefully remains healthy in the offseason and comes back, and 
can give you what he's been giving you. I mean, I know his whip isn't great, but his ERA, hell, it's incredible, basically. I mean, and some of that's luck and some of that you can't maybe count on 100% in the future. But also, the guy will have a second you know, year in the majors coming in next year as a pegged-in starter. And if we got a rotation of Verlander, Fulmer, Norris, Boyd, and Zimmerman, I think that's a pretty good rotation. Look, Zimmerman was hurt. Zimmerman was hurt before he was hurt, before we knew he was hurt. He had a great April, which we knew wasn't going to last. But when he started getting those injury issues and he started making tweaks to his, you know, his, his motion because of those injuries, I think that, that worsened the problem. And I don't think he's been the same since May. And I think it's going to take a full off season of rehab and getting him healthy. But I don't see any reason why Jordan Zimmerman can't come back next year and give you maybe not the Jordan Zimmerman in his prime in Washington, but be a serviceable four starter. And Boyd is a plus five starter. And you've got the two big guns in Justin Verlander and Fulmer. So I think the rotation's good. And I think if you take anything away, Rondone's last, the post All Star break's been very good. Um, you hope that Wilson, the Wilsons come back and, and can pitch effectively, and Green is as a bullpen guy from day one is good. K-Rod gives you something similar to this year. Jimenez maybe at some point is part of the uh, the uh, bullpen that you could say, okay, the bullpen isn't a total disaster. And look, Nick Castellanos had a breakthrough year before he broke his hand. Um, I don't think that lineup is going anywhere. Like you said, no, the, one, the no. one thing the one thing I would do is hell, and I mentioned this on Twitter today. I would bring El Avila's son back. That's what they need. They need a guy who can get on base as a lefty bat. He's making two point five million this year. Um, I don't think he's going to cost much more than that. He's a free agent. Go get him yep. on the cheap. Cameron Maben, they're going to have to bring back because he's got a nine million dollar player option and a one million dollar buyout. So it's basically $8 million to keep a center fielder who's been as good as he has been this year. So I think this team, I mean, I'm bullish on this team next year if Chris Illich doesn't order them to cut payroll, which I'm still terrified that he might do. Here's uh, some fun with numbers here, Jeff, based on what you just said. If you take the Cleveland-Detroit head-to-head out of the, the conversation, the Tigers are 81-59 and 59 against all of their teams. The Indians are four games worse than that, 77 and 63. If you project that forward and say the Tigers just went eight and eight against the Indians instead of two and 14, which is what they currently are, they'd be safely into the playoffs right now, likely at 89 and 67. And I really think that's a more accurate barometer of what this team is. What are you going to judge on what they've done against one particular team, which has been an absolute statistical aberration? or what they've done against the balance of the rest of baseball, which when they're not playing Cleveland, you're right. They're a playoff-caliber team, and that is taking into account all of these injuries. So I'm there with you on being bullish on the Tigers, as is if they have a little bit better luck in terms of injuries. But there's also been poor individual performances. There's been the lackluster managing of Brad Ausmus, which has been impacted by some of these injury moves. And – I do believe that the Tigers need a couple of tweaks, like you said. 
And I don't think the Indians are a team necessarily that is going to stay this good for the long haul. They're very good in terms of their farm system. They've got young guys coming in right now, Francisco Lindor in particular. They've got a very solid starting pitching staff. You mentioned the additions to their bullpen. They're very well built, but I don't think they're by any means invincible is what I'm trying to say. So I think, yeah, that's yeah, what well, makes this all the more frustrating. You're looking at a team right now that's 10 games over 500, and we know, but based on what you just said, that they're better than this. And yet there's a very strong likelihood they don't make the postseason here in 2016. Yeah, and that's with with Fulmer pitching lights out, with uh, Norris giving what he's given since July. Uh, you know, that's the other thing. People say, well, how can you fire the guy? Um, they're going with three rookies in Verlander. And my point is, how can you give any credit? If you're going to give credit to Osmus for Norris, Fulmer, and Boyd pitching well, does he get negative credit for Pelfrey, Zimmerman, and Sanchez pitching horrible. I mean, that's out of his control, basically. So I think that's just a bunch of bullshit. Um, You grade him on the fact that he still hasn't learned how to use his bullpen. He still hasn't learned that there's a sense of urgency with this franchise. He still hasn't learned that you don't bat Michael Vilas and Jose Iglesias second. You know, look across the dugout yesterday. Carlos Santana is leading off for the Cleveland Indians. No one is going to confuse Santana for Kenny Lofton or Ricky Henderson. But what does Santana do? He gets on base a lot. And that's the most important thing for your one and two hitters, to get on base, for your best hitters to have the most at-bats. And Terry Francona, a man who is is ordering his number three hitter to bunt in American League games in the third inning, which is absolutely idiotic. And in the fact that how much he's in love with the bunt is disgusting, and I, it would drive me crazy if he was a manager of our team. But even that guy understands lineup construction and has a guy with five stolen bases and basically uh, not much speed leading off. And he's got his best guys at the top of that order. It, we're not asking for much. I'm just asking for the basic things to be done on this team to give them the best chance to win, and it hasn't happened now for three years. Jeff, it's such a good point. And even Tito Francona, who he's never going to be accused of being ahead of the curve on analytics, but you're, you're getting it right with the, the lineup construction. And it's not just him. This is going across baseball now. I saw it happen with John Gibbons and the Toronto Blue Jays. How about Jose Bautista leading off, feeding into Josh Donaldson, Tuhole, and then Edwin Encarnacion. Then you look, of course, at Joe Madden, who I know you and I have differing opinions of. I love Joe Madden. Chris Bryant, MVP, Tuhole. What I don't understand is Osmus is trapped in this archaic thinking of Miggy's got to bat three, and then Victor's got to bat four, and we'll put JD five. We're just going to wait a beat on a horrible hitter in the two-hole because Miguel has to hit third. Where is that written? Where is that written in Major League Baseball rules or, or your? I, I don't see it. So, I mean, if you hey, are without well, hey, Ryan or Maven... Right. Ahead, Where is it written that Victor Martinez, no matter what his health status is, has to bat fourth when Justin right. Upton's been the player of the month in the American League, basically, and J.D. Martinez is J.D. Martinez? What? Where's the, the law, the rule, that you couldn't move him down to fifth or sixth uh, just for the, the last 10 days of the season because obviously something's not right with a guy who keeps rolling over balls and grounding right into the shift every time? 
And not only that, Jeff, but if you're, again, even from a baseball purist standpoint, why are you batting Victor cleanup? He cannot run. There are so many doubles he turns into singles, so let's say, okay, he's actually getting on base. If he doesn't homer for you, Victor becomes an obstacle on the base pass. He's at first, he's station to station, and now J.D. Martinez gets a double, but Victor can't score on it. Or Justin Upton, same thing. I would drop him all the way down to six because the only role that he has right now that's valuable to you is a run producer, a guy that drives runs in, guys ahead of him, not getting on base to be scored by others behind him. I mean, if you put him six and now you got Ivar, Salty, and Iglesias behind him, well, then so be it. I mean, he's going to clog up the base pass for those guys. But I don't want him clogging them up for J.D. and Upton, and you're exactly right. You've got to feed Ian and Cameron, if you're going to go one, two, and I'm fine with that, to Miggy, J.D., and Upton, and then have Victor be kind of your last resort there in that sixth spot if you have a big inning going. How many times have we seen it, Jeff, where Victor, even if he gets on base, it's almost a curse within the blessing because he can't score from first on anything other than a triple or a home run? No, it's it's ridiculous, and it goes back to the urgency issue. Which leads me to one more point about this this team over the last month. How is Jared Saltlamakia still oh. getting at bats in key situations in baseball games? I'm going to give you his stats right now post All Star break. Okay, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's un it, you 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 can't even believe it. You you probably shouldn't even believe me. You should go to ESPN right now and double check this. But since the All Star break, the guy's batting average is 133. His on-base percentage is 230, and his slugging percentage is 248. In 100, oh. 105 at bats, he's got a 478 OPS, and he struck out 44 times out of 105 at bats. That is historically inept. It's unbelievable that this guy is still getting at bats in this pennant race because they haven't cultivated any pinch hitting possibility. I, you know, listen. I don't know if the third, the third hitter, the third catcher that they have out there, that John Hicks. I don't know him from the John Hicks who used to own the Texas Rangers. You know, he <laughs> might be the same guy. I don't have any fucking idea, but he couldn't be worse than Jared Saltalamakia. How could he be? I, why isn't that guy at least had a, given a chance at some point? In, in the same reason why why McCann when they needed a right-handed hitter against lefties a couple years ago at the end of the season, why they didn't use him. Because, oh, my God, Brad Osmus is a former catcher, and God forbid you throw in a catcher who's not familiar with the pitching staff uh, to to call a game. Are you you kidding me? Any option is better right now than a guy with a sub-500 OPS since July. And this feeds into, I, I know you're a proponent for Stephen Moy, and I was too, at least in that role you're just describing as a pinch hitter from the left-hand side, because otherwise you're checkmated on the chessboard if you've got James McCann in a situation where he's got to hit against a right-handed pitcher because you're not better off, as you just outlined, bringing in Salty, despite the fact that he's a switch hitter, can hit left-handed against righties. You're not better off with Salty staying in there or Salty as a pinch hitter or going catcher to catcher. This is what I'm talking about, Jeff. 
That office does not think two or three steps ahead. You've seen this even from Jim Leland, where you might pinch hit, let's say, for James McCann. They bring in a righty. You bring in Moya. Pinch hit to the spot. Has his at bat. Does whatever he does. And then the next inning, now you bring in Salty, your two-catcher, in that situation. But how many times have we seen it? Well, my catcher is hitting, and that's the catcher's spot, so we have to pinch hit Salty Lamakia for McCann. No, you don't. No, you don't. That, again, that's not written anywhere. And I just, I have never, this is the other part of this, Jeff, and I know you're on the same boat as me on this. When has Brad Ausmus made a move where he went, man, that was really smart. That was a really slick move. I'm a, I'm a big fan of what he just did there. I, I have those moments all the time watching other teams play. And even Tino Francona for Cleveland on occasion. I cannot recall a mo- moment where I thought that about Brad Ausmus. No, it's, and this is the stuff that, I cannot tolerate another year. Get someone who's on the same wavelength as you. If you're if you're if you're sabermetrically inclined as you say you are, if you've made these moves, go get someone who manages like that. And if you don't, you've got no one to blame but yourself. I I just can't imagine that El Avila sits there, watches these moves, and doesn't have some of the same thoughts that we do. I I just don't understand it, but. I don't know. I think we've exhausted the Tigers' topics topic for now. Uh, I, I do want to, you know. And by the way, I should bring this uh, breaking news. You want to, you want to break this, uh, Jessica? I don't even know all, all nope. of the, everything that's going on, but Jessica's. Uh, oh, boom! What? You hung up? No, no, he's oh. calling right now. Okay, well, we we'll go into that in a second. But I'm not going to get into it. You want to, you want to break the news? Spiro's calling. Yeah, Spiro's calling. But we'll get to him. We actually can go as long as we want. I think today because. Yeah, the undercard is uh, yep. off, uh, so I'm in no rush. We'll get to Spiro, um, and he can—I don't know what he wants to say, but he can say whatever the fuck he wants to say, and I'll give him ample opportunity. But I want to bring up something to you, some breaking news that I found out this evening, and because you're in the radio business, um, you can maybe comment on it. But I was told by a source uh, right before I came on the air today. That uh, 97.1 has got an issue. As you know, Ryan, uh, Terry Foster, who hosts the uh, afternoon drive show with Mike Valente, he has for over a decade the number one rated show at PM Drive Show in Detroit. Uh, you know that uh, Terry Foster unfortunately had a stroke. Right. I don't know, maybe a month and a half ago now or two months. I don't know how long it's been, but he's been off the air. Basically, I think Jeff Rieger has been filling in mainly for Foster. And I think the planned date for Foster's return was early October, like maybe in the next seven to ten days. And what I'm being told is that, you know, Foster wants to come back on and that there are very serious concerns by people at CBS Detroit at 97.1 that he's not ready to come back. And that he's not recovered and that his speech um, is not close to 100% and they're worried about that and they kind of want to keep rolling, I think, with Rieger. And I, I take no joy in this you know, information. I, I feel bad that, um, that, that he had this stroke, which you know, talking now is Terry Foster's vocation. 
because right. he basically the Detroit News last winter gave him an ultimatum. Either you give up the radio show and you come back writing full-time for the news and you cover the Pistons on the beat, or you take a buyout and you go work at 97.1 permanently, and that's your only, you know, that's your only gig. And Foster at that point made the decision that I think 97.1 was more lucrative, and you know he's got two kids, and one in high school, I think one in middle school, and he didn't want to go following the Pistons around 40, 41 games a year on the road. So we decided to stay at 97.1 and leave the news. And then in July or August, whenever the stroke occurred, um, it's affected his, 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 his voice. And so I don't know, from what I've been told, if Terry Foster is going to be back next week. It doesn't sound like it, it's going to be because, like I said, CBS Radio, they're, they're, and, they've got, and it's tough. And you're in the radio business, and it's just a, it's just an awful situation. And you'd hate to see someone end up uh, losing a job or getting moved from that prime spot. Uh, we you know because of you know having a stroke and not being able to speak. It's it's really kind of a and, and and you know there's a long history between me and Terry Foster, and we don't get along, and I don't think he does very good work. But it's 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 a pretty upsetting situation. Yeah, the work that he does, which you have criticized in the past, that is separate uh, from the issue of him being able to do that job. And I think you would love nothing more, Jeff. And I'd have to think that Terry would agree for him to be able to return the way that he was to do what he did and to have you criticize him for that work. I mean, it was a nice little cycle you guys had going there. And I have no ill will whatsoever toward Terry Foster for any reason. We're both Central Michigan alums. Um you know, do I have issues with perhaps the, the balance on that show? I, I'd like to see something more dynamic. I'd like to see Terry engage more with, with Mike Valenti, who obviously is uh, their rock star and for good reason. And he's got the best ratings. He's got a big personality. I think he says a lot of the things uh, in Detroit radio that need to be said that no one else will say, despite maybe the fact that you disagree with him. But uh, another aspect to this, and I don't, what I don't know here and what is not being reported maybe to you is why the rush to, for, for Terry to come back if they're not willing to give him ample time, no matter how long he needs to recover from this. I would hope that would be the case. And I'll say this, too. I think Jeff Rieger does amazing work. He's on my show frequently. I think he hustles and is one of the few reporters actually in the radio side of this business that takes that job seriously, uh, that calls teams out, that gets dirty looks for Brad Osmus. Um, I would put him in that same kind of category that you do, Jeff, with the Detroit Lions beat writers. But it, it's rare in the radio part of this, again, especially when you're working for a station that has rights to a team's broadcast like 97.1 has with the Tigers for their field reporter and Jeff Rieger to ask the tough questions. And it's sad to me that that stands out in a way that it would never stand out in a bigger market like New York City where you're expected to do that and the fans want you to do that. And I have to believe there's a large chunk percentage of the Detroit audience that you and I are not just whistling in the wind here that are craving that type of coverage. And I think Rieger brings that to the table. So that all being said, I think the show's in good hands while Terry's out. Um, there obviously has been a long-established uh, on-air relationship between Valenti and Foster. That's the name of the brand and the show. 
And I would just hope that, you know, for all parties involved, whether it was Rieger, Valenti, Foster, and CBS Radio and 97.1 itself, that there wouldn't be any kind of pressure or rush on Terry to come back before he's ready. Because you're right. If you don't have your voice, if you can't articulate, if you can't think of the words that you want to say in this business, I mean, that's what it's all about. That's your moneymaker. And it would be a shame for Terry to come back at less than 100%. Yeah, and I think this is going to be a big story in the next month because I can see Foster wanting to come back and 97.1 basically telling him that it's it just not it's just not possible. And, you know, this guy's he's got two kids going to college soon. And uh, it's, right. it's just pretty fucked up situation. I mean, if they would have fired him based on the merit <laughs> over his horrible sports takes and his laziness, uh, in my opinion, and I think his partner, Mike Valente, and doing show prep and things like that would be one thing. But, you know, in sports, you never want to see someone lose their job to an injury unless it's Jonathan Erickson or, you know, Drew Miller. But... So I don't know. Is there any, before we get to Sparrow, is there anything you want to uh, talk about the Lions? Uh, same oh, old man. shit. Uh, well, you know, just real quick on the Lions here, Jeff. You know, it's been a real mercurial bunch this year, and I just had Kyle Mikey on my show today to talk about, and I think there is some circling of the wagons and open questioning of the coaches in terms of their preparation. And I would implore everybody to read Kyle's article at MLive. It's very well done. Uh, both he and Justin Rogers are uh, companions of mine in covering the lines in the dungeon of doom. And, and they're not afraid to break down tape and, and watch it. I mean, we see a, a backup linebacker lined up over Jordy Nelson. It's a still shot. You can see on my Twitter feed, it's pinned at the top at Ryan Schuling. And it's things like this schematically that no matter how many injuries they're having, and there have been many, and they have been severe to to Ansa, to Levy, to Amir Abdullah, but when you're not prepared to compete at a high level going into a game or you don't close out a game like against Indianapolis or against Tennessee, which they actually lost, the issue does go to coaching and overall preparation, that 53-man roster. So I think the Heat under Jim Caldwell's seat, if they don't go into Chicago, Jeff, and win this week against a – battle-tested, decimated, without Jay Cutler, without Jeremy Langford lineup. They just picked up Joint Bell off the scrap heap, who the Lions didn't even want. If they go in and lose to Chicago this week, they got three home games coming back, starting off against Philadelphia. But I think that stretch run might very well determine the, the future and the fate of Jim Caldwell in Detroit. I thought the uh, future and in, in, in the uh, job opportunity – for Jim Caldwell was decided by Martha Ford's love for him. I didn't think it meant anything on the field. I mean, we saw that last year. Well, there's plenty of that, but I mean, at some point you're right. Bob Quinn, I mean, he, he's got to stake out his direction, leadership of this franchise, and he can't afford to have, you know, poor coaching decisions that compound themselves. And it's not just Caldwell, it's his coordinators, Terrell Austin being chief among them. This can't continue, and, and I think this is a make-or-break Sunday for them. They've got to win in Chicago. I really feel that to be case, yeah, the case. Yeah, and they should beat that bad team. I mean, they really should. I know it's yeah. on the road, but that's just that's just it's a very bad, bad team. And you, the Lions, the Lions should be able to capitalize on that. You would hope, and if they don't, man, things are really going to start to collapse. Do you want to hang on the line while Spirit Moon Spiral calls? I'm going to take a break first. Uh, Sure, to you. that's fine. You want to moderate this? Maybe, maybe he doesn't want to call and talk about me attacking him uh, during the uh, first 35 minutes of the show. Maybe he wants to call in to discuss 
Andre Drummond's virtual reality free throw <laughs> training. I mean, that, that, that could be. Wait, that's a thing? Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing from him. Uh-huh. Yeah, Drum, Andre Drummond, instead of shooting underhand or doing anything to correct his issue of shooting 35% from the line, they like got him these virtual reality... What was that thing we used to play with kids, shooing? Where, what was it called? Where you like put thing over your your hand and then you hit the button and the, the slides would change. What was that called? Oh God, I, I can't remember the name of, of it. I should know this. Yeah, I know what you're talking viewfinder? about. Viewfinder, viewfinder was that, or I don't know. But that yeah, the viewfinder. Yeah. Right, right, right. So they've gotten. I guess they got a high tech viewfinder, so that Drummond can repeatedly see free throws that he made to give him a good mental picture of making free throws that's that's the whole solution that's stupid that's the solution and i don't know problem. anything about basketball i'm just saying like if i were throwing a basketball it'd be different than watching a basketball be thrown and, and so, the best part is like that. the best part is thrown best, yeah, <laughs> yeah thrown the best part <laughs> not 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 exactly charles barkley over here in the studio with me um, sorry that's <laughs> no, okay so the the best part of it was Drummond saying, you know, because the reason this all came out yesterday was because it was media day, I guess, for the Pistons. Uh, I guess you were an invited shoe. But, um, yeah, <laughs> the thing was that, like, he's like, oh, this has been really hard for me to adapt to, having to admit that I need a – he said something like, "I hard for me to admit that I needed assistance with my free throw shooting. Like, 35% from the line wasn't enough that – his comments were just absolutely infuriating. And then Stan Van Gundy saying that, well, he's doing everything to possibly to improve. And basically that's, uh, you know. I think he's got to have a talk with Marcellus Wallace. All right. We're not even going to go to a break. We're just going to go to Spiro. Okay. We'll go to a break after, uh, after this. All right. All right. Joining the show. By the way, have you confirmed this isn't a prank? This isn't like Captain yeah, James or something? Yeah, I checked with him a few times on it's Facebook. It's like really Sparrow. Sure. It's, not, yeah. it's not uh Ponce de la Fone. Or... <laughs> no. Okay, so former Detroit Sports Rag podcast co-host, uh, former writer for Detroit Schlock City, current writer for Detroit Sports Nation, Justin Spiro joining the show. You know, I, I'm just curious this Andre Drummond thing, because that's why I'm calling yeah, right. How many things is Andre Drummond going to try before he calls Rick Barry? Because last year, it was some stupid sleeve they were working on. This year, he's got VR goggles on. And next year, he's going to be audited by a Scientologist. I mean, the year after, he's going to be visiting a monk. At some point, they're going to get to the Rick Barry phone call. I think, what, 2022? Maybe 23? Uh, I think Rick Barry will be dead by then. By the way, no, do, do you have do you have clearance from the folks at Detroit Sports Nation? Uh, you know they don't they don't like me. They called me a douchebag on Twitter. Called me other oh, ass- yeah. assorted names. That, have, that's that's mean. They shouldn't say that. Stuff. Do you have permission? So what's going yeah, on? I, what do you thought, what do you really what do you really want to say to me? Well, how much time do I have? We're going to a break, right? No, we're not going to a break. Okay. You got all the time in the world. The undercard and the girls aren't coming in today. Yep, you're good. Oh, so we can we just we can go right through the Tigers game. Well, <laughs> okay, the, the, here, here's the, the problem. Team. At some point, uh, I, I got to play Jessica time and a half. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can chip in for that. Oh, okay. Uh, if, it, if it's necessary. So you know, I'm thinking with yesterday and 
in the general spirit of this week being debate week, you know, general election firing up, now is as good a time as any for a little fact-checking session. Are you ready for this? Because I think you need it. Are you ready for a little fact-checking from your little rant from earlier? Uh, I really don't trust you to fact-check because I think you're a pathological liar, but you can go ahead. Well, you need some serious fact-checking, and here's what you need. By the way, did you cheat the Fantasy Baseball League? Yes or no? No. Are you you willing to take a polygraph on it, which I will pay for in this studio? Uh, Are we back in 2014? No, I'm asking you a question. Are you willing to take a polygraph in this studio, which I will pay for a lie detector test, to find out if you cheated using League Manager in a Fantasy Baseball League? Are you willing to take... Are you willing? I'm actually... And actually, I answered your question. Hold on a minute. Why not? Because why? How does that work my time? But why? Why should I believe anything you're about to say if you're not a willing? I'm willing to take a path. Oh, I, 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 I'm no, willing I to take the fact check. Yeah, I can prove the lie that you told. I can. What, prove what, it okay. What, what lie did I tell? Up. The mayor of East Lansing is Mark Meadows, not Verge Bernero. That's the the mayor of Lansing. Oh, I'm sorry. They're two completely different cities. So you've exposed yourself to the ultimate Spartan fraud for all your listeners. Oh shit! So I, I, the last laugh is on you. Shuling is 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 money's with Moss done. I don't know. This is a this is a troubling development. Spiro's right. Wait, I I, I didn't. Thank I you. honestly, credibility ruined. I didn't realize there was a e- difference between East Lansing and Lansing. You probably think China and Japan are the same place too. No, but so, I, South Korea and North Korea are obviously the same place. Okay, I what's the next? Actually, what's what's um, the next thing that you want to take umbrage with? Well, that's the only thing I'm going to discuss right now. But I, I thought it was worth pointing well, out. Can I can I ask you a question? Is, 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 it, tr- is, is, it, is it true that you left the website because I talked to you in a condescending tone that I was mean to you one week after you told Brian Kavanaugh that he was beneath you and you went after Jimmy Petro over fantasy baseball and that you said you left the site because, not because I didn't give you credit for the Connor Cook dad story, because you didn't like the way I talked to you. Well, I'll make a I'll make a distinguishing remark between you know what you and I were going through versus you know I don't remember the circumstances exactly with details, but I remember Petros. But either way, you and I were in a, a different situation than I was with either of those two. Uh, it's a different context. You know, with the DSR, we were having a a disagreement on the website and editorial decisions and timing and when to publish something and who should write it and things of that nature. Uh, I, I think it's a little different when uh, your opinion as, uh, a, you know, ostensibly a co-worker on a project is completely disregarded in the way that it was versus two guys having a pissing match. I mean, it's even me leaving the website. I didn't, like, leave the group or unfollow you or block you or something. I just basically said I'm not going to contribute to the website anymore. Oh, that's and, all you all, yeah, that's all you did. All you did was say you wouldn't close the podcast anymore write articles and contribute right. to the website. That's all that's all you said. Because I said right. because I said shut the fuck up and then ten minutes later apologized. Did I apologize? Okay. Okay, let's 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 let, if you want to address the apology we can. Did I apologize? 
you said sorry in the same paragraph that uh, you you excused your your behavior be something with you were on a medication or something. And no, I said I have a me. pinch. I said I had a pinch. I, 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 I can't remember what it was. You you bombed me in the apology, and that's something. It wasn't like this. The, sincere apology. You said, sorry, but I took some medicine or I worked up for something. I can't remember what it was. No, I had a pinched nerve in my neck. I couldn't get out of bed. I was on on a lot of medication and I said, I was sorry for telling you to shut the fuck up. And that should have been the end of it. You were looking for a way. You were looking looking for a way to get out. You didn't want to do the podcast anymore, which was, you're right. I mean, I understand you had a, a new job. You had a baby that was a month old. I would have completely understood if you would have just said, like a man to me, that I can't do it anymore. Instead, you can con- you concocted this bullshit reason and-, and left and make me look like an asshole. And there's to this day, because of my reputation, people still think that I did something horrible, that you would just leave the website because I said, shut the fuck up. And it, it just it was just ridiculous behavior. And I did apologize. So why don't you admit right now the real reason you left? Because you had other things going on, and you probably was a part bit, and you probably were going to come back after a few months, maybe, maybe not. Am I wrong? Well, again, this apology thing, you said the word sorry, and I can say, you know, no offense, but you're a fucking asshole or you're a fucking this or that, and it's like, well, you said no offense. Yeah, you said you're sorry, and you bombed me in the apology. So how long have you known me for? But that, that, that's Wait, not, hold that's on. No, 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 no. I mean, that's not why I'm asking the question. How long? You've known me for 12 or 13 years. How many times have you ever heard yeah. me say I'm sorry in any connotation? Uh, I, I don't know, maybe three or four times. Okay, so it doesn't happen often. Yeah, once every four or five years. Okay, exactly. So why okay. don't you admit that there was other reasons that you left the website and not Here, because let, I told let, you to shut the I fuck up? I, here's, here's what I don't get with your theory, though. I mean, I'll just ask you, because I, I honestly don't understand where this is even coming from. That you, why, why would I just not tell you that I was overwhelmed? Like, what would be the downside for me? I don't get why that's like a theory. Why would you ban yourself when you were, why would you ban yourself from the website? Why would you leave seven or eight times, and then come back. Why would you buy an asshole like Michael Bohenic a $500 playset for his kids? Why would you give the twins a free Xbox or for $5? Why would you do any of the bizarre things? Why would you do any of the bizarre things you've done over the last 10 years? Like, it's not like you, you don't have a history of doing absolutely odd things for absolutely no reason. Right, right. For no reason, you're 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 seeming to suggest like a, an ulterior motive that's somehow like sinister here, which doesn't jive with the randomness of those other things you mentioned. Okay, why would you bomb people in a fantasy baseball league for making trades that you don't like when you were part of an accusation that you cheated in a fantasy baseball league? Why would you call people names? Why would you bomb them because they made a trade of Chris Tillman for 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 um? Alex Gordon, do you not see? Do you have? Do you have zero self awareness that you would do that a week before leaving the website, ostensibly because I said shut the fuck up? I don't get how those are related. 
you don't see how it's related. I don't see how me leaving has anything to do with the Chris Stillman trade. Well, I my my question is: you were accused of cheating in a fantasy baseball league by the same people who were in this league, and you don't even have the self awareness to not go after other people for making legitimate or quasi legitimate trades without going off the handle. I, I don't see how you can't see that. And then you bomb these people, you tell BCAB these beneath you, which to me is about the worst insult that you can make to someone, and then you leave a website you've been a contributor at for 12 years because I told you to shut the fuck up and then that my apology wasn't 100% pristine to your liking. <laughs> That's one way to put it. But yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I, you're right that the you know driving for the podcast and the you know really that was it. I mean, the, as far as the articles are concerned, I, I wasn't and, and not so busy that that would be an issue. Uh, it, it was tough, and you know I think Jessica mentioned uh, a couple of my last shows like you know you look tired, this that you know kid doesn't sleep, especially those first few months. So I'm not I'm not denying that it was a lot and it was becoming a lot. But I would have just told you that and, and you know, cut back on the show. I wouldn't have had to, to leave, you know, the, the website when I was only writing once or twice a month anyway. So it, it was too much, but it was definitely too much. If I didn't feel my opinion editorially was respected, I thought I made a, a valid argument for why I should write the article. Um, you know, and I said from day one, uh, Connor Cook, I mean, and his dad, I said from day one that the whole lying about credit thing, it was always, I mean, literally every time, uh, I thought obviously kidding. I mean, I guess it's the Jimmy Petro rule, uh, where if no one can tell you're kidding at a time you, and that's fine. I mean, I guess I'll have to own that, but I was doing the Trump bit. I didn't think it would be taken that seriously. And I, and I clarified that from day one. Yeah, but you're I, still I, complaining I I to this day. Byline, even to this day, yeah, I do. Four, 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 <laughs> four, four months later, yeah. you're still saying that you don't that you left because you didn't like the editorial decision that I made to run with the article. Which, by the no, way, no, 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 no. every hold on, hold on. every hold single on, person is a member no. of that DSR no. elite group agreed with my editorial decision. Everyone, no, every no, no, single no. one. Uh, that's not uh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, yes, I still disagree with it, but the reason I left was because my disagreement with it, which I thought was valid, which me thinking it's valid should be enough. I think I, I've contributed quite enough to that website that I earned a right to dissent, and I had a polite dissent at first. I mean, I was not saying this is bullshit or whatever. I, I politely laid out the case. I, I think I earned that right without your response. So I didn't leave because your editorial decision. I mean, at the end of the day, it's your website and you left because I, you left, you left for a lot of reasons and you just basically admitted part of the reason you left. It was because it was overwhelming, which I don't deny. No, here's, here's, let me clarify. It it, it is a lot. My bullshit tolerance, what I was willing to put up with was lowered by my circumstances that changed, but that's not why I left. And it's not the editorial decision either. It was solely the fact that, you know what, to, I, again, don't quote me on the time, but within 30 days either way, two months before this happened, I donated $300 to the website. I, I donated substantial sums of money over the years. I've contributed content-wise. I've contributed organizing DSR events of all sorts of, of types. 
I think I've done don't, don't go down that road. 12... Don't go down that last road. Okay, I'm, I, I I'm think joking. it's been more more good than bad. I, I never, which is why um, which is why I am upset that you left. If you weren't, well, you uh, should be because the site was a lot better with me than without me. I don't blame you for being. Yeah, right. As <laughs> someone who was a valued contributor to the site, uh, who made financial. Um, contributions to the site, although a lot of people made financial contributions to the site who didn't even work for the website. Uh, you were a valued per- If you weren't valued, I wouldn't have been upset. I wouldn't have been hurt. Um, I wouldn't have viewed it as a betrayal. I wouldn't have given two fucks. But that's let, let's let's bring Schuling in. Maybe he has some questions of the panel. Well, I mean, you guys both know, and I think I'm as objectively neutral in this as anybody can be and still be informed on both sides. That I have a great deal of respect for both of you, but the, the analogy I keep making, and I just tweeted about this, is, you know, Simon and Garfunkel together were always better than either one of them apart, and I think there needs to be a reunion here. I think Jessica's yeah. on board with me on this. Yes, I would love for you yeah. guys to reunite. As long as I'm Simon and he's Garfunkel. We can even, like, bring in a therapist. <laughs> You guys can stop not in dispute. You are, it's always been you're the draw and you're the show. It's not like a power struggle. It's not, not about that. Okay, any questions, Jessica? Yeah, well, you guys get back together now. Silence on both ends. That's fucking real helpful, guys. Thanks. <laughs> well, let me say, yes, they will. This has to happen. I mean, I know. the podcast with two of them together, I mean, it, it was just magic. There's the, the, the chemistry, and that's something I'd like to say that I know something about, you know, the give and take. I think there's a real balance of opinions. I think Spiro rounds out the rough edges for Moss, and Moss maybe brings out a little bit more fire in Spiro that – you know, alone and separate from one another, it's not quite the same. And I, I'm going out on a limb here, but I think I'm speaking for a lot of people who are listening to this podcast right now that they are definitely rooting for this to happen. Well, I, I don't yes. have enough money to fight a tortious interference claim when Detroit Sports Nation uh, brings their lawsuit against me. <laughs> I don't have a non-compete. You don't have a non-compete? Yeah. No. Are, you, are you starting with winging it in Motown in a week? That announcement might come if I uh, reestablish the Twitter account. I don't know. Why did you delete the Twitter account? I have no comment on that matter. You have no comment on why you deleted Twitter? I, I'm, a, I'm, like, uh, I'm like John Goodman in 10 Cloverfield Lane. I'm like, I'm in my bunker, you know, waiting for the... The aliens to why why did you why did you feel the need to bomb Justin Upton on Friday in the middle of a oh, oh, career yeah, I, I'm month? Like, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm, I'm not going to deny that you were like in the the net that I was casting. Uh, and, really? You, know, you mentioned the door. No, no, I'm not denying, I'm not denying that, but it really, really wasn't just about you. I th- that whole thing was prompted. I saw six or seven tweets in my timeline about it, and I. I wasn't even following you at the time. You weren't even one of them. I mean, I, you know, I could still obviously check in on your account, so I knew where you stood. But it, it's ironic because the thing that prompted that rant, none of the tweets that prompted it were actually based on anything you had tweeted. Um, but I'm not denying that it was in part targeted at you, of course. But, I mean, it was really a general band that, you know, you've been a leader of that, you know, it's part of that Austin movement, but, uh, but, it, but I stand by everything I said with that. I mean, and I don't know why you would think that personally. I mean, it's basically disagreeing on 
the season up than that. I, I, there's no reason for anyone to take it's not. It's not that I take it personally, but it's kind of similar to you telling Bohenic not to mention Victor Martinez at bats, or you are going to retaliate by saying that he's a wife beater. It was kind of in that path. Keep your name out of keep my name out of your mouth, or I'm going to. Uh, unleash war on you because I'm still pissed off at what you did. That was kind of more of, it wasn't really, not like I saw, oh my God, this guy just insulted my entire being by saying that Justin Upton is having a worse year than Prince Field. It was more like, just don't mention me, don't subtweet me, uh, don't get me involved in any of your conversations and I'll leave you alone. And then, you know, you... uh you you did that, and I retaliated because I'm a psychopath, and you know that I will take any bait <laughs> that that is given to me, un, not unlike uh, you know a gentleman who was fathered by an orangutan who was on a debate stage last night. Well, that's fine, but you know, just know if I ever do make that triumphant return to Twitter, uh, there is a chance that if Upton continues to stink in this current deal that he's on. But I'm going to criticize him, and it's not necessarily about. Well, if he stinks, you have every right to criticize him. I just felt it was weird when the guy's been carrying the team basically for three weeks, when he was in the midst of being named Player of the Week in the American League, when he's got like an 1100 OPS this week, that you would come on and bomb him at that point. I mean, nobody's saying that Justin Upton's had a great season. We can look at his on base percentage, we can look at his RC plus, we can look at his WAR, we can look at his defensive metrics and say that he has had uh, pretty much the worst year of his career. My only point was that his horrible April, his horrible May, was an anomaly, and that I wouldn't write off the guy for his entire six-year contract, a guy who's 28 and who has a history of being a very good player because of a few bad months transitioning to the American League. And I think that point that I did make has come to fruition that the guy has been incredible. He might hit 30 home runs this year by the time that it's over, mainly because what he's done since about August 25th. That's my only point. I will still not say that Justin Upton's had a year that I wanted him to have. I would expect it a war of you know, 3.5 to 4 based on his career averages, and it's going to probably end up somewhere around 2. So that's my only point. I don't think people are saying, ha, 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 see, Justin Upton was great. I think they're saying, don't bury the guy like you're a chocolate milker, like you're you know wearing a Guernsey T-shirt. That's all I'm saying. Well, and I, I don't advocate throwing dirt on the guy at all. What, what I was seeing, and again, none of these were even yours. And I know you've said things maybe along these lines or in the spirit of these. There were two tweets almost back-to-back from people that were saying, we're the Upton haters now, and you know, uh, something about vindication for those who stood by Upton all year. And my point is, yeah, it's great the guy's been great for three weeks. I appreciate it. Your argument and the argument of many that are in your camp for most of this year has been that water's going to find its weight, and water has still not found its weight. The guy was so bad that it was almost impossible for water to find its weight. He's still, as I noted, 50 points below his second-worst year OPS-wise, other than obviously his rookie year, which is short. So I don't know. Again, I, I don't think you've been vindicated on the Upton thing at all. Yeah, he's been a lot better. He's been great for a few weeks. Water has not found its weight with him. So I think, you know, anyone in, in your camp with this sort of uh, told you so about Upton, 
Uh, we're saying we told you, you, told you so, told and he wasn't so you dumb. Right about it, so. yeah. Well, we were right about it. If you look at his stats, he was. Water has not found on. its weight. He had yes, it has. He had a five. No, hold on, he had a five sixty eight OPS in April. He had a six twelve OPS in May. He could never recover from those awful first two months. But in June, his OPS was seven sixty five. In April, in July, it was eight forty two, which is above his career averages. Dip back down to 713 in August, and now it's 1,076. His post-All-Star OPS, which is 225 at-bats, not exactly the smallest sample size, is 879, which is higher than his career averages, higher than most of his best years. 328 on base percentage, a 551 slugging percentage, which is basically Miggy and J.D. Martinez land. That's not a small sample size. That's post-All-Star break. 225 at-bats. So, yes, water has found its level, but because he started off April and May so horrible, he was never going to be able to dig out of that hole for the entire season. And let me go on to one more point that you made, comparing him to Prince Fielder. Justin Upton has been nothing but a great teammate for this team this year. Whenever he was struggling, he would come out and say, I've sucked. I'm shit. I've been terrible. I'm embarrassed. He has probably showed more caring about losing and about being part of the problem than 99% of the players that we've seen on this team going back to the 2006 year. This guy has cared more than about anybody else, and he's shown it, and he's made zero excuses. He hasn't used the excuse that he had to make the switch from the National League to the American League. He said nothing other than, I have sucked, and i Hope that I turn it around and can and earn the contract that I've been given. He hasn't given the finger to the fans. He didn't give the universal fuck you to the fans like Joe Nathan. He didn't say, I'm going home to my kids. He didn't lollygag and just go through the motions because a teammate fucked his wife, supposedly. He hasn't done any of that stuff. So yeah, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt more than most guys because of his track record. And because he's been an upstanding citizen here. And, and those are all valid points. And even in my rant, I conceded that Prince shot himself in the foot in terms of fan perception with his behavior. I, I did make that point in the initial sequence. So I, those are good points. And I, I, you know, again, I concede that right from the top. But I, I don't know. To me, water finding its level means that you reach at the end of the year, you know, a close approximation of your career numbers or your, your so-called level. Obviously, we have different definitions of level. I don't consider getting hot for 40 days or whatever, two months, to be finding your level unless you're somewhere near your standard level of production, which he's still nowhere near. Well, so, he's, and, and I don't think he has found his level by my understanding of that, that term. Well, if, if he's had an 879 OPS over 255 at-bats since the All-Star break, his career on base uh, OPS is 818, so it's 70 points higher. He's pretty much in line with his slugging percentage that he's had. The one stat is his on-base percentage is horrible. There's no getting around it. It's 305. His career average is 347. There's no... But that that is because he was so bad in April and May. And I think... Right, he had, and that's, not, that's not an excuse. You can't just like, oh, no, throw out April and May. Like, yeah, that's yeah, yeah you can't. Season. When My you say... on the season. But they when, lost games because he sucked. Yeah, I but mean, when you... you that doesn't go away. But when you say that water isn't found its level... When you have a sustained period since the All-Star break of him exceeding his career averages, that's that's what it, 
That's what it means. I mean, do you agree, Schuling, or am I off base here? Well, what I'm hearing right now, and I'm just tweeting this out, this is the show, man. This is the DSR podcast. This is what I'm trying to tell you guys. You know, you got Moss's Jerry and Spiro's George. Maybe I'm Kramer. Maybe I'm crazy. I'm the neighbor next door. You don't invite over every day. And then obviously Jessica's Elaine. This is how it's going to happen, man. This is the argument. This is the discussion. These are the tweets that are going on right now in real time. Uh, One at Meet Shay, I'm feeling my daddy issues slowly fading away, mess. <laughs> at Jeff Moss, DSR, and hashtag Twitter with Spiro. Um, George Contis, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Hashtag progress. Uh, let's see. Bridge over troubled water by DC is frustrated. So it's it's out there. I mean, that's a like breakup of your guys's has affected everybody. Nobody likes it. Everybody likes you guys better together. You're great on air together. You know, so it's been a while. I just don't see why you guys can't argue about this in studio next week. Oh. Oh God. Matt Derry, this listen to this tweet. This will unite everyone. <laughs> Quote, figured I should come down here and visit with the AL Central champs. With a picture of Comerica Park. Oh, get hit by a truck. <laughs> Remember that drunk frat boy that was like hiding under the the, the bus outside of the Joe Louis Arena during a Red Wings game because the cops were after him and then he got dragged three miles? Yeah. I hope that's what happens to Derry with the Cleveland Indians team bus. Um, yeah, you know, seriously, I think we should go protest U of D Jesuit. Do you, you still have that sign maker that you took the signs for, to blackmail Greg? Can we go? Can we get some signs for Matt Derry? You know, those are not two-sided signs. So actually, the the opposite half of those are completely blank. So we can actually work with that. Can you imagine protesting a school? <laughs> I got to find one of his students to like bomb him. Well, actually, that probably wouldn't work because they'd probably get a bad grade. Uh, M Lakuta six on Twitter is Spiro subbing you for you Thursday at softball. <laughs> Am I supposed to answer that? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't think I would make contact. Does he know how uncoordinated I am? You could not be worse than Mahir. Yeah, probably not. Mahir's nickname is the Swinging Bunt. Oh, God. It's All right. Shuling, any other questions or should we end this? No, I think this is perfect, man. You just nailed the dismount right there. These two. Let's get them together, Jessica. Do your work in there, okay? I think Jessica went for a smoke break. All right. Well, she knows where I'm going with that. Now, let's see. Anything else we should hit since I haven't talked to you in about four or five months? How's the baby? She's good. She's uh, she's upstairs bouncing around happy and finally sleeping again, which is good because I'm uh, getting some rest. I, I feel very good these days. You know, I felt so happy to call you. I miss a lot of you guys over there. You know, it's sad when these breakups happen because there's, you know, people that feel like they have to take sides and uh, whether they do or not, they, they just feel that way and you know, so there's some people that, uh, you know, aren't so friendly with me these days that I, I was always fond of. So it's it's sad stuff, you know, these breakouts. There's, there's always a lot of collateral damage that you don't really think about down the line. Well, I think I've given you ample opportunity over the last four months to come back. Uh, I've, I, I don't think I ever closed that door. Well, maybe not officially. I, I, there's certain ways that you've made it not the best place to come back. I mean, you know threatening me, threatening my family, threatening my friends. I don't think this is necessarily a I'm not you know, a welcome welcome sign, you know. I, <laughs> it's a, it's not I'm not I'm not, back. 
I, I don't think back. threatening. I don't think threatening. I, I mean, I don't want to get into that stuff, which I think some of it's hypocritical, and I've made that perfectly known to you personally. I haven't really. I mean, I, I gave you the first chance to answer what I thought was some hypocritical behavior. Um, I don't want to get into that now. I don't think it's fair. I think everyone's hypocrite. I think you're a hypocrite in a lot of ways, you know, I, but yeah, I think everyone is. Well, you, I, I understand that, uh, and I, I wouldn't deny it. If you called me out and said, Moss, you said A, and then you did X, I wouldn't disagree. But I think there's levels of hypocrisy, um, and, I, you know, I, that, that's just my opinion on, on that. But, uh, you know— I don't. I don't know. I don't know how to end this because Jessica left the room. I mean, I would have ended this. I would have ended this show five minutes ago, and now I'm just like in here by myself, and I'm staring at her laptop, wondering where the eject button is. And I, I don't know. It's. I don't know. Maybe she took a two cigarette break on purpose. I mean, she wanted this to go on as long as possible. She might not be coming back yeah. at all. That might be true. It's, at some yeah. point. Hold on a second. Jessica! This is, like when you, this is like when you lock the, the Crips and the Bloods into a gym like in the downtown YMCA and tell them they can't come out till they make the feast. Like and, they just lock you in the gym. Any comments or you know criticism of the DSR in the last few months or anything you want to say well, until Jessica gets back here? Uh, do I have a unity, to, to be honest, without you like you know messaging my family or something? I. First of all, I've let you come on. I haven't interrupted you, really. I've let you say whatever you want. You could continue to say That's whatever fair. you want. Yeah. I mean, would you agree? I've given you an ample opportunity to say whatever you want. I you, 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 you have never changed on that. Let me address one thing with your, your rant about me earlier. Everything you said about you having my back was 100% true during that fiasco, and I always appreciated it, and I think it's you know unfortunate. I, I, I don't view uh, that that stand of loyalty and defend defense of me as a means that I have to, no matter what, under any circumstances, never take exception to the point of leaving with anything you say or do. I don't think it, it, it buys like that level of infinite, you know, goodwill. Well, I don't think so but, either, but if, well, yeah, if I came over and, you know, raped your family or something, yeah, I don't think defending you over that uh, would have been, would have been appropriate. I don't think it's quid pro quo. Saying shut the fuck up and then apologizing five minutes later, I don't think meets that threshold. Well, I agree it doesn't meet the threshold of, of raping somebody. But uh, <laughs> the general point of what I'm saying is that, um, you know, I did appreciate that at the time and, and still do. Uh, so, you know, any any perception that anyone would have that, you know, I didn't take that seriously and, you know, deeply, sincerely appreciate that. It's just not true. I mean, any information, any information on Osmus's future as I'm continuing to drag this on, because I have no idea. Jessica could be dead out there. I have no idea. You know, I I could give a better answer if I was just talking to you, like on the phone. Um, It's hard to answer without kind of giving away. I mean, obviously you know who my source is on that. I, my answer would kind of give it away. Um, The best I can say is, it's not looking good if they don't make the playoffs. Um, but they are still not 100% sure because this is ultimately a Mike Yelich decision, and Mike Yelich may not even be alive when this decision comes up. He's in a constant state of fluctuating health, and the team doesn't even know what they're going to do with the manager at this point. Um, so it's 
it's hard for a source connected to the team to know if the big guys don't know. So it, it's not as uh, juicy of a story as if something was, you know, decided like we, uh, I guess, thought it had been last year. But uh, that's just the reality of the situation is that the team themselves don't know what they're going to do. Now, if they make the playoffs, and it doesn't mean just make the wild card and lose. If they win the wild card game, the perception is there's no way they would fire them, even if they went, went on to get swept. But, uh, again, everything is kind of just speculation. It's in the limbo down there right now. All right, Jessica's back. Where would you go? I had to go start up the other show. <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to say, Jesus Christ, I thought you were dead. How, how, are the, how are the new digs down there? I haven't even been back. They're like, nice. You, know, you, should, uh, you should come the, hang the out here for two like hours week next week. Then. Yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll come hang out with my boy Theo. Yeah. I'm going. Theo, Theo, <laughs> don't, here. Theo doesn't do a show anymore. I love, I love that I have an adversarial relationship with multiple hosts at that show. He doesn't do the show anymore. <laughs> he doesn't do it anymore. He doesn't? No. I learned that just last week. Did they finally catch him red-handed sabotaging other people's programming? Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> See, I miss this. You guys could always they just ran make him up. Out of there. Any last comments, Shu? I love it, man. The sounds good. It, it feels good. It feels right. Okay. I think Jessica's on board with it. I really I think this am. Is what needs to happen. This has damaged me in a way that I'm just not proud of. So if you guys could just get your shit together and make up, that'd be great. Cannot imagine. Yep. It's it's incredible that there are two women in this world who are damaged by the fact that Justin Spiro and Joff Mess can't get along. Who's the other one? Miranda. Oh, yes, really? Right. Oh yeah, Miranda's way worse than you. Oh wow, she's probably well, she's probably drinking heavily right now. Well, no, she's probably celebrating right now because you yeah. guys are actually right. on speaking terms, which right. is a nice change for everyone. All right, well, we're going to wrap up the game. The game wrap <laughs> wrap up the uh, podcast for tonight. And I gotta, I don't know why, but I'm gonna go home and watch the Tigers. All right, well, I'm gonna see you next week, though, right, Justin? <laughs> yeah, right. I, you know, I got a I got a farm bet on the Tigers tonight that I feel really good about. Who's pitching for the Indians? I don't even... He's not answering me. Tell him to stop ignoring He's not me. Uh, some, <laughs> some rookie turd. Clevenger! Yeah, thank you. Isn't that I the mean, guy Mike, who Mike, said that all Mike, black all black people are animals and should be locked up in prison? Is that his brother? Isn't that guy named Clevenger, the guy in Seattle? Is it? Yeah, that's a, that's a different... I don't know if they're related. Are that's they related? That's Mike, Mike Clevenger. Oh, all right. Well, that's the DSR podcast. You never know what you're going to get. That's for damn sure. I didn't think driving in today. I was supposed to. Henson was supposed to be on to discuss. Can we go? Can we go back to texting veiled threats to each other after the show? No, you guys have to make you, up. You haven't really threatened me with anything. I threatened you not, probably. Not yet. Not yet. But I got tricks up my sleeve. Oh yeah. Well, you guys can argue about it next week on the show then. Listen, there it is. I got, screen, I got screenshots of some terrible sports opinions. You Great, made a year you can ago. post it on Twitter from your laptop in studio while you're on the wireless That's fine. network. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I think if you anything, with the wrong Marine. I think if anything, I've shown that uh, I will completely put myself and expose myself to ridicule uh, for the good of the website for 13 years now. So, bring it on, puppy dog. Good night, everyone, and uh, we'll see what happens next Tuesday. I'm going. Oh, by the way, last thing, I'm going to New York. Any like restaurant recommendations? This I know that you're a frequent visitor of that city. Uh, there's a weird Italian. I can't remember the name, but I'll send it to you. But uh, before we go, I got a text from uh, my mom, 
about a, I don't know, a week ago, whatever it was, uh, that her, she heard you on the Stern show. Yeah. And she said, your, your friend was just on the Stern show. I figured it was you, but I just go, uh, which one? She goes, I don't know, the, the website guy. Oh. So like, oh, okay. I didn't have the heart to tell her that yeah, she we... didn't. She, I was no longer friends with you. Yeah, well, you need to make up for your mom then too, right? So, she, multiple she reasons. It was like the coolest thing that she was like two degrees of separation away from someone that was on the show and was being discussed. It was like the how'd she even know? I didn't mention the DSR. I didn't say my name at all. I mean, how'd she know? No, because because I had told her about the, the your initial like the hind thing because she oh. was saying uh, she'll do the hit him with the hind thing with um, my brother because he's a big Stern fan. And uh, I, you know, told the story at the time with the connection to you. And uh, it, I don't know. I, uh, I still haven't heard the, the full segment with you, but uh, she just thought it was the coolest thing. Has, so I, I still think the high end thing is, is ridiculous, but has, uh, as has, usual, my mom is down with it. So. Has, has Evelyn bit, been hit with the hind by Terry Spiroia? Uh My mom is trying to teach her to say Baba Booey. I don't know oh. about the hind thing. Okay, well... Uh, We'll work the, on the that. Baba Booey, the Baba Booey training is already underway against my wishes. So. so next week on the show, Jessica, if Justin isn't on, we will have Terry Spiro. And with that, I say good night, everyone. Good night, guys. Bye. See you next night. week, Justin. This is a previously recorded episode.